After everyone has returned to Earth, Stark, Rocket and Banner set out to craft a gauntlet to wield the stones. Banner volunteers himself to wield the gauntlet and bring, everyone, bring back everyone that disappeared in Thanos' snap. Reasoning that he can withstand both the radiation poisoning and the immense pain brought on by using the stones. He succeeds, though they are almost immediately attacked by Thanos, who has been brought to Earth by the imposter Nebula, destroying the quantum portal in the process. Thanos reduces the Avengers headquarters to rubble, splitting the team up and causing the gauntlet to fall into Barton's protection. The past Nebula is killed by her future self as she attempts to take the Infinity Stones from Barton while Rogers, Thor and Stark confront Thanos. He decides he'll instead use the Infinity Stones to destroy the universe and create one in his vision. The three fight Thanos one-on-one, with Rogers confirming Thor's theory that he is worthy of wielding Majolnor. But each best... I didn't even say that right. But each bested by Thanos. Soon after Thanos' army lands on Earth, Chala appears before Rogers, along with all the Avengers and other allies revived by Banner, before launching an assault on Thanos and his army. After a lengthy battle during which Stark is reunited with Parker and Quill is reunited with Pas Gamora, Thanos wrestles with numerous Avengers for the Infinity Stones. Uh, Captain Marvel reappears, taking out Thanos' ship while fighting for control of the gauntlet. Stark manoeuvres the Infinity Stones from Thanos' hand to his own and uses them to turn Thanos and his entire army into dust, triumphantly stating, I am Iron Man. Parker and Potts console Stark as he dies from overexposure to the stones. (laughs) He hasn't got a clue what I'm talking about. Put your hand up. Well, who, who does know what I'm talking about? Okay. Do you know what the difference between those, those two groups of people are? One lot's seen Avengers in, uh, Endgame and the others haven't. All right? Why, why do you know what's going on? The reason why you actually know what's going on is because you know the backstory. You know everything that kind of leads up to it and you know the context for it. If you haven't seen it, you don't know the backstory and it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to you. Um. This is the reality that we uh, kind of see in Acts chapter 2, is that the Holy Spirit gets poured out upon people and he fills people and there's a bunch of people who are kind of gathering. There's a crowd that's gathering and the crowd's going, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us because they don't know the backstory. And the really cool thing in uh, Acts 2, I think, is um, Peter's very well aware of this. You know, some people think that they're drunk, other people are kind of amazed, but it's like we don't even really know what this is. Peter steps up and he says, let me explain this to you. Let me tell you what's going on. Let me tell you what the backstory is to all of this stuff that's going on. So let's read Peter's sermon out of uh, Acts chapter 2. So if you can open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, we're going to read from verse 14 to 41. Just setting that context clearly for you now. Um, there was the sound of rushing wind, there was tongues of fire on people's heads, people were speaking in other tongues, and other dialects, other languages. People are going, what is this? We get four verses dedicated to the miraculous and a whole bunch of verses dedicated to Peter's explanation of what's going on. That's what we're going to read today. Acts 2, starting at verse 14. 
But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, nine o'clock in the morning. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. I've got to say, there was one commentator who, uh, about that comment, about it's too early in the day to be drunk, it's like it doesn't kind of work as well in our days as it used to. But... but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapour of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptised every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. And this marvellous verse, isn't this amazing? So those who received his word were baptised and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now, before we go anywhere, it's a heck of a sermon, right? And we actually don't have the whole sermon. That's what it says at the end of that passage we just read, that he actually said a whole bunch of other things. We got a a summary of the sermon. Um, But what's the sermon about? The sermon is actually about the backstory. It's about Peter giving the crowd a sense of what's going on and what um, what the, the, the present state of affairs actually means. 
So I want to go through a bunch of things about the backstory. Here's the first one. The backstory is meticulous, all right? Peter makes it clear that this was prophesied in advance. Joel said it years and years and years ago. The prophet Joel actually said it, that the Spirit would be poured out on all people and that they would prophesy. You know, you go back into the, uh, the Old Testament and uh, if you're new to the church and, and you, you don't follow Jesus, you just need to know that God actually flags the stuff that he's doing in the Old Testament. And he's actually meticulous about the stuff that he talks about because he's actually got a plan. You know, there's some stuff there, isn't there, in uh, Joel's prophecy that, um, that Peter quotes that it's pretty full on. It's blood and fire and smoke. And uh, that's, that's beyond our, uh, our brief today, all right? It's because some people think that was actually fulfilled in Christ. I actually think it, it speaks of uh, the time when Jesus will come back. That would be my position on that prophecy. But I didn't want to spend heaps of time in that today other than just to say God actually lets you know what's going to happen in the Old Testament and you see a lot of those things taking place not just in the Old Testament, the fulfilment of it, but you see them in the New Testament. I mean, there are lots and lots of Psalms. You can go down in, uh, in Peter's sermon and you'll notice that, um, that Peter's quoting from Psalm 16. All right? And Psalm 16 is a messianic psalm. It's actually talking about Jesus. And you just need to know that God's, God's not haphazard. God is a planner and he is a strategist and he knows what he's doing. The, uh, the book of Amos has got this, uh, this classic uh, statement in, in, in uh, chapter 3 verse 7, for the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. That was the pattern. When God was going to do something, he just let everyone know what he was going to do. It's not like God kind of comes in and it's like, oh, I don't know what to do next. I'm just going to do this thing. God knows what he's doing. He communicates what he's doing. He wants people to know the truth about what he's up to. You know, the Old Testament prophets, you know, one of the things that they used to do is they would actually um, tell people about God and call people to faithfulness to God. That's actually the main job of a prophet. But you actually find in the Old Testament as well, this foretelling thing, this knowing what's going to happen in the future and you can see that in this passage in this sermon of Peter's that that Peter's just saying hey this is all part of the plan this is not haphazard you know you go to uh, verse 23 of Acts chapter 2 if you've got it in front of you this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God now the spin out thing here if, if you have a look at that verse um all those people, have you ever wondered how uh, God's sovereignty and him being in charge and human choices and responsibility go together? Has anyone ever wondered that? All right, you get to a verse like this and you go, finally. Like, finally there's going to be a verse. It's just going to decode it for us so we can see the exact interface where it happens. But if you look at verse 23 there, it's pretty disappointing because it doesn't. It just says that Jesus being handed over was part of the plan of God it was a definite plan of God and who actually caused it to happen? Lawless people. <laughs> people making choices about what they're going to do. God has this way of accomplishing his plan and his plan is not haphazard. He tells you what's going on in his plan. He lets you know. I mean, Peter, in a sense, is doing that, isn't he? There's, there's this amazing stuff that's 
kind of happening by the Holy Spirit there. And he's going, hey, let me tell you what this actually means. God is interested in you knowing that stuff. And I just, I just want to hang here just for a minute. Have you ever played a game with someone who makes the rules up as they go? Have you? It's just frustrating, right? And one of the reasons why it's frustrating is because they usually make them up to suit them, all right? But there are actually, there's a bit of anxiety associated with someone making things up as they go because you just go, I don't even know how this is going to play out. I don't know how this is going to work. You can kind of get nervous about that. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Like you're with someone who likes to leave things to the last minute and you just go, oh. <laughs> it's really hard to work with someone who leaves it to the last minute. I had a, uh, my first year of teaching, a, uh, a teacher in the school I was teaching at in Sydney, he, he made this comment, he goes, you know, he goes, uh, there was a couple of things, one of them was he goes, ITP, he goes, that's what I'm doing now, ITP, which was in transit preparation, which basically meant you didn't have your class planned and you were doing it on the way to the class. Another line uh, he had was, uh, I like to fly by the seat of my pants, but sometimes my pants get ripped. <laughs> It's worth just stopping for a moment and thinking about the fact that God isn't like that. He's not just pulling things together at the last minute. He's not getting caught off guard by things. I mean, he's just not like that. That's not what you see in the scriptures. That there's, there's a lot of clarity and there's a lot of purpose to the things that he's doing. And they've been planned for a long, long time. Which is why he can just let you know through the prophet Joel and through David the psalmist, like hundreds of years beforehand that there's going to be some stuff going down, down the track, because he's a planner. What would it mean if God wasn't like that for you personally? What if he was haphazard? What if he just pulled things together at the last minute? What if things kind of caught him off guard and he wasn't kind of a thinker who'd kind of worked out some stuff? But that, that wouldn't be good, right? Is anyone with me on that? Like sometimes, you know, we get used to the fact, yeah, God's got these plans and he's got things sorted out and we all just kind of get a bit used to it. And sometimes I think it's worth thinking about, what if he wasn't like that? Now, I'll I tell you one thing that would be absolutely sure and certain, probably, well, I shouldn't even say probably after that, it'd be sure and certain, is um, it'd be more fearful, wouldn't it? Like if I said to you that God has not thought about tomorrow yet. Now that's not true, right? But if that was true, he has not thought about tomorrow yet. It, it's not on his agenda. And when he gets up tomorrow morning, he doesn't sleep. But <laughs> anthropomorphism, right? And when he gets up tomorrow morning, he's going to have a look at tomorrow's tidy tray. Would that be comforting to you? It wouldn't be to me at all. It's like, I mean, he's got a lot of talent, like a huge amount of talent, but it's like, it's more comforting that it's like, no, nah, I've, I've actually been working on this and I knew that you were coming since the, the birth of creation, before the birth of creation, I knew all about that. And uh, like, like we prayed today, I have got good things planned for you to do and before you even existed, I had good things planned for you to do and I know what's coming tomorrow. See, that's, that's calming, all right? And I think you can see that a little bit in this passage here. Is that's, that's a little bit of what's coming out is what's actually taking place is a clear plan and you don't need to be worried about it. It's, it's going to happen. It's a, definite, it's a definite plan. It's going to happen. Here's the next one. 
You guys just advance to the next uh, slide for me. Thanks. What we actually see is um, the backstory and the central character. Go to uh, verse 22 and 23 uh, with me in Acts chapter 2. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Now, do you know the spin out about this? is the spirit seems to become a really minor player in Peter's sermon. That's, that's kind of the spin-out thing. Like the spirit gets mentioned later on, but there's all this stuff. There's like verses and verses about Jesus. And, and I think you need to pay attention to that and you need to notice that because the central character, even when the spirit is doing amazing, miraculous things, it isn't the miracles that are the centre of it all, and it's not even the spirit that's the centre of it all. It's actually Jesus. Jesus is the one who, who is a central character in this story. You know, if you've ever been in a context where the spirit is busy and he's doing things and it's, and it's really, really active, there's a tendency to kind of get distracted by the miraculous. Has anyone ever... Does anyone know what I'm talking about? You can just get distracted by it. And it's a pretty strong distraction, all right? And I'm not saying for a second that miracles aren't good. It's like, let's, I'll have as many as God will give us, all right? And I think we should ask for them. But even when you get them, the focus ought not be this miracle that's happened or even the work of the Spirit, but the focus needs to be on the central character. Who is? Jesus. Always needs to be on Jesus. You know, don't get so enamoured with God's sweet work that you just love the fireworks and you forget about Jesus. Jesus is the reason for all of it. Here's the third one. The backstory that Peter talks about reveals an indestructible life. <laughs> we, uh, we looked at um, just a few moments ago uh, about how Jesus was killed by lawless men. Now, you think about superhero movies, right? Basically, the deal with superhero movies is the good guys are not meant to lose and they're not meant to die, right? They're just, they're just not meant to die, right? Uh, and sometimes in superhero movies, you actually have some bad guys that don't die. Now... There's one thing worse than a bad guy that doesn't die. It's a, guy, it's a bad guy that you tried to kill and you couldn't kill him, <laughs> right? Because then he gets really, really angry, right? You've got something on your hands at that point in time. You think about heroes. Heroes are not meant to die. You know, the most drastic stuff can happen to a hero and they can even die in a movie, but it's not the end. It's like there's some catch somewhere, something's going to happen, someone had their legs crossed or their fingers crossed when something was going on, or there was some tricky little kind of supernatural thing that someone did, and somehow the hero's actually going to come back to life. Some way, they're going to come back from the dead. And this, it's too late for a spoiler alert because I already uh, read it out, this is the feeling I had when I watched Avengers Endgame. Because at the end, Iron Man dies, right? Now, for about five minutes... I'm sorry, I just wrecked it. <laughs> yeah, okay, you can pray for my soul. 
he dies, right? And I'm, I'm sitting there in the movie and I'm like for five minutes, I'm just going, no, he's not dead. Like he's just not dead because Iron Man can't die. He just, he's like the superhero, right? And he just saved it for everyone. Like it's just, it's so totally just not fair if Iron Man dies. So he's, he's just not dead. And then, you know, that five minutes went past and then I started thinking, maybe he's dead. Maybe he's really dead. And then it kind of dawned on me that they're going to finish this movie and he's going to be dead. And he, and he was. There's something gutting about the hero dying, right? The hero's not meant to die. And, and part of it, I think, is we just, we just, we don't want evil and badness to win. Is anyone with me on that? Just don't want it to win. Do you know, um, victory over enemies is the ultimate evidence of a superhero, isn't it? That's what it is. You have to beat your enemies, right? And the biggest enemy for a superhero is death. And if a superhero wants to be a really, really awesome superhero, they, they beat death. And, uh, and it didn't happen. But it does happen with Jesus, yes. right? He's just, he's, he's just a better hero. <laughs> he's a better hero. In fact, they're all made up. He's legit. He's the real deal. And he actually, he actually got taken out. And it's like the classic story where you just go, nah, it can't be the end. And you know, Peter would agree with you. Out of Acts chapter 2, he'd go, nah, that's right. There's, there was no possible way that that could actually be the end. Jesus got taken out, but there's no way that it could be the end for him and uh, commentators actually talk about uh, some of these verses that, that speak of uh, Jesus being indestructible let's let's just have a look at one of those here let me get my um go to uh, verse 24 Acts 2 24 about half the crowd is going to uh get the significance of what I'm about to say here verse 24 God raised him up loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it you know what commentators actually say that last bit Jesus it's not possible for Jesus to be held by death Uh, you know what they compare it to a woman in labor like you're going to labor that baby's coming out right (laughs) like you're not it's it's got to come out somewhere or another you know like it's just it's a happening thing you know, and that's the feeling that you get as you read this about Jesus is he is of such a person. I mean, one of the things um, that's clear from Scripture is Jesus is a sin bearer, but he's not a sinner. So the punishment for a sinner is death, but he's not a sinner, he's a sin bearer. And so what happens when you kill him? Or well, death can't hold him. <laughs> it just can't hold him. It can't lock him in. There's no kind of double arm bar that you could do on him to kind of hold him in place. And it's like death got him, he's... He's stuffed now, that's going to be the end of it. You know, I, I love that phrase of, uh, that John writes in the Gospel of John, John chapter 1, where he says, in him was life, there's this pulsating life in him and the Father is going to raise him and the Spirit's going to be in on it and nothing's going to stop him from being raised. He's going to take out death. You know, we could go into the reasons why... Um, Jesus couldn't stay dead. It's always worth reading something from uh, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, isn't it? 
You know, this is, the, this is the bit in the story where Aslan, who's a representative of Christ in the story, goes and he gets executed for the traitor. And, and he dies. But then all of a sudden he comes back to life. And when he's asked what happened, this is what he said. There's a magic deeper still. Sorry, though the witch knew the deep magic, there's a magic deeper still which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time, but if she could have looked a little further back into the stillness and the darkness before time dawned, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the stone table that he got executed on would crack and death itself would start working backwards. Isn't it good news? Anyone give me an Amen. You know, even in verse 29 of Acts chapter 2 there, like um, Peter's really keen for you to know this. So he quotes this bit out of Psalm 16, you know, and then he says that bit out of Psalm 16 written by David couldn't have been about David because David died and we all know where his tomb is. We We know he got taken out by death. Jesus, um, Jesus' life is indestructible. The backstory reveals an indestructible life. Number four, the backstory reveals the Lord of the story. You know, we go back to verse 22 and 23, we see that Jesus is crucified according to God's plan. Death can't hold him. God raised him up. There are witnesses of that. This is what Peter's actually saying in his sermon. It was prophesied in Psalm 16. It can't be David. Go down to verse 33. I want to read verse 33. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. He's talking about Jesus. What's, what's Peter saying? What he's saying is Jesus is, is kind of as organised for the Spirit to do what the Spirit's doing and has sent him to do it. You know, if you go through this sermon of Peter's, you know what Peter's doing is he's going, I want to show you that Jesus is the boss here. That's who the boss is. It's not like the Spirit's the boss and he's just off freelancing and, and doing stuff that he wants. He's the Spirit of Jesus. It's the Spirit of Christ. Go to, uh, flick across to Acts chapter 16, verse 7. I want you to see this. Because you've got to see that um, Peter's establishing, as he goes through the sermon, uh, uh, Jesus' authority. Acts 16, verse 7. And when they'd come to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the spirit of who? Jesus, right? So who, who is the Spirit connected to? Connected to Jesus. All right? The Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Go across to Acts chapter 8, verse 39. Acts chapter 8, verse 39. This is the Philippian eunuch. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. The Spirit of who? Of the Lord, Right? So do you know what's going on here? And you've got to hear this. Peter's saying this is that the works that the Spirit did in verse 1 to 4 of Acts chapter 2, Spirit was sent by Jesus to get that done. He's a boss. He's in charge. You know, and then 
Peter goes on and talks about how Jesus ascended into heaven. David never did that. David never did that. You see what he's doing? He's just bit by bit. He didn't decay. He didn't die. Death didn't beat him. He was the Lord. It was God's plan. We've got prophecies to kind of uh, to to show that that's what God was doing from the very beginning. He's a boss, right? He's the Lord of the story. And so, you know, the bottom line kind of kicker in all of this is this here. <laughs> the backstory actually turns out to be the main story. Isn't it? You get to Acts chapter 2 and the, the main story isn't the pouring out of the Spirit. The, the main story is the backstory. What's the backstory? Is that Jesus is Lord and Messiah. Have a look at verse uh, 36. This is where Peter ends up. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, or Messiah, this Jesus whom, whom you crucified. You see, it ultimately isn't about the Spirit or the judgment or anything other than Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's about him. He's the one pouring out the Spirit. And God has made him Lord and Messiah. You know, like I, I got thinking about this over the last couple of days and um, you know there were hundreds of years where there was this messianic hope you know what the messianic hope was messiah means anointed one the messianic hope was that a great redeemer and deliverer would come and bring deliverance and freedom and restoration and i think that every single human has that hope And you know what Peter's saying? He's going, that, that's, this is him. <laughs> this is him. You know, every, in some ways, I think every superhero movie points to Jesus. Doesn't it? And it points to this hope. Like, don't you feel that? Don't you feel like you get into trouble and you get stuck in places and you need a deliverer, someone to come and rescue you, someone who's supernatural, someone who's not bound by the same kind of constraints that you have in your life or even the constraints of anyone else. Someone who can come in and has a power that's bigger and greater and more freeing than anything natural. You know, what's crazy ironic about this is uh, he got crucified for being the Messiah. They didn't believe him, right? Don't you think, I, I just, I find that so ironic. <laughs> you know, not that long before this, um, they trumped up these charges, they kill him, think he's wrong, he r gets raised from the dead, the Holy Spirit gets poured out, and then Peter goes, hey, <laughs> you Jews, because they were Jews that were gathering around him, all this, but, you know back here when you killed him, he actually is that, go figure, all right, you were wrong, you were wrong. You know, I've been using the word sneaky in prayer a lot lately, all right? And it's, it's just a sonogel version of uh, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast and it just works its way through the day. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that God's like that? He's just sneaky. It's like, that's a sneaky thing to do. It's like you get him killed for the Messiah thing and then you just go, oh, actually he was. You guys, you had it right, but you're wrong because you didn't think it was right. Have you ever noticed that God just is an unconventional operator? Yep. You know, he's not like Trump. 
there might be some times where Trump might be just a tiny bit like Jesus. But the other night when Trump organised this, uh, there you go, I got into politics again. Politics and religion and what's the other one? Sex probably, you're not supposed to talk about. We talk about them all. You know, he, he organised this big shock and awe kind of thing. He's going to obliterate Iran, you know, said the other day. Now, there, there will be a day where Jesus is going to come in and mop everything up. But, you know, right now he's sneaky and he just gets about doing his work. And uh, he gets about it in sneaky ways. You know, to carry sin, to not be held by death, to ascend to deal out the spirit and the miracles that were happening on that day, like all of us should just go, truly, you're the Messiah. You're the saviour. So, what do you do? You're a bunch of Jews standing around, a lot of them, and someone's just told you that you got it all wrong, right? And you actually killed the guy (laughs) who came to save you. You're culpable, right? Now, this is... You know, put it in our day, put it this way. A hero comes to save you and you kill him. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's a good plan. It's like, you know, like a current day example for us is violence against paramedics, right? Against ambulance workers. It's like, these people are coming to save your life and you're going to fight them. Like, go figure. You know, think about the number of sayings that we've got. Let me give you another one. That's like soaring off the branch that you're sitting on. It's like biting the hand that feeds you. You know, what saying do you want? You can probably think of some more sayings that actually cash that out, but this is kind of what we do a bit, right? This is somehow, this has become part of human nature. Someone comes along to rescue us and we fight them and we want to take them out. Which is weird because I actually think in the inside of you and the inside of me, there's this heart cry for something, for a rescuer, for a saviour. And I think it's because we end up in this conflict between wanting to save ourselves and wanting to be saved. Because you know, if you get saved, you have to totally surrender. That's how it happens. I heard a lady uh, talk just recently down in Brisbane who was uh, one of the survivors of uh, the London tube terrorist bombing. She was standing, literally, there was one person in between her and the suicide bomber on this train, all right? And uh, she ended up losing both her legs, which she counted as some kind of um, advantage because she got to be taller because she always wanted to be a bit taller. So they got, she asked them to make the prosthetic limbs a little bit longer so, so she could be taller. So she thought that was pretty cool. Um, but do you know, she actually made this comment. She said, when I was lying there waiting for the the paramedics to come and the moment came when the paramedics actually arrived she said the feeling of surrendering to the paramedics completely and and the thought in my mind that I don't have to do anything to stay alive anymore I could just surrender to them she said was the most sublime feeling it's a bit harder to get there sometimes for us isn't it okay because there's there's this tussle going on sometimes where we're trying to save ourselves what do you do? <laughs> you know, the Jews, the Jews did it, all right? But the truth is, if it wasn't the Jews, it would have been one of us, all right? Because human pride doesn't have a place for Jesus. 
and just as a, as a place for the cell. So wh- what should you do, and I reckon the kids can get this, right? Um, easy. So someone comes to save you, right? What should you do if someone's come to save you and you've killed them, but they didn't stay dead? What should you do? Probably just say sorry. <laughs> Shouldn't you? Like you could just say sorry for that and like everything else that you've done that's been offensive to them. It's like at that point, you know, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, it's like that just makes sense, right? The last thing you want is someone who can't be killed, who's invincible, getting angry with you. <laughs> just makes sense. Like you just don't want that. So you say sorry to him. And that's what Peter says here. He says, look, you've, you killed him, so you should repent. And repent means that you've been going the wrong way. You shouldn't have killed him, even though it was part of God's plan. You shouldn't have killed him, right? And you shouldn't have been turned against him. You should be with him. And they do. 3,000 of them. 3,000 of them turn and say sorry, and repent, and start heading the other, the other way. They get baptised, they get the Holy Spirit. Isn't this good news? Maybe just have the music team come up. Peter, um, Peter says in verse 39 of Acts chapter 2 he says for this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself now who are the far off some of you going well Australia is a long way from the Middle East and yes it is it is now there's some debate about what Peter actually meant by those who are far off uh, I probably think he's talking about Jews that are that are a long way away geographically from where all that stuff was was happening. But do you know what we know from uh, from the New Testament? There, Ephesians two verse thirteen, it speaks to Gentiles. So Gentile is anyone who's not a Jew, right? Um, which I assume would be just about all of us. So we are. We are geographically a long way away. According to Ephesians 2.13, we are a long way away from the promises because we're Gentiles. Listen to this from Ephesians 2 verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So the story about Jesus gets to Australia and in 2019, 150 adults maybe hear the story of Jesus and there's a bunch of people that love him here. Isn't that amazing? Maybe there was more in what Peter was saying than he realised. That it wasn't just for those who were right there or even the Jews that were in distant lands but it's for those far off Gentiles who uh, weren't connected to God, weren't connected to the promises. It's amazing. It's amazing. So don't, um, 
won't put it in the negative. Just, can you just let him be your saviour? Like in everything? Could you just do that? Because he is anyway, right? Like there's, there's not going to be another Messiah. That's it. He's it. There's one. Okay, scriptures are clear that there's one saviour. You know, and his redeeming, delivering, rescuing work is not done when you give your life to him for the first time. It's, it needs to be done and redone every day because we get ourselves into trouble again and you get, we get ourselves into slavery and we get stuck again. So you need a rescuer and a slaver and you just need to know that he is the rescuer par excellence. Isn't he? So when you get stuck, you ask him to help. That's what you do. That's how you be a good rescuee. <laughs> a bad rescuee is, look, I think I've got this for another 10 minutes. A good rescuee says, I need you and I need you in this area of my life and I know that I've got stuck in the same spot the last 25 days in a row, but I've heard that you're a really good Messiah and a good rescuer. Can you help me? Can you get me out? 